You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the Colorado Outdoors magazine, January, February, 2023, Volume 72, Number 1. My name is John Arnold, and we'll start off by reading about outdoor equity, increasing access to the outdoors for marginalized populations, and we'll finish up with learning how to be courteous and responsible anglers. Rules to fish by. Outdoor Equity Article by Dan England Daniela Woolwin did wear a wedding dress, and so did her wife, on the day of their union, but instead of walking down an aisle, they hiked up a trail. The trek up to Lion's Head in Staunton State Park in Pine was nearly eight miles one way, but they hiked in their dresses with friends and family telling jokes before reciting their vows while gazing at the view over the Elk Creek Valley. Standing on top of that monolith of a rock with my very best friend wove the outdoors into the fabric of our family, said Woolwind. It was an unusual wedding to be sure, but Woolwind is, by many aspects, an unusual person. She is a gay woman with love for the outdoors and the knowledge, ability, and most importantly, the opportunity to express it. Those who live in Colorado love to boast about their accessibility to the outdoors. There are 14ers to climb, streams to fish, trails to hike, races to run, places to sleep under the stars, and elk to hunt. All of it in such a ridiculous abundance that other states can only gaze upon are Purple Mountain Majesties, the way Ralphie stared at the Red Rider BB gun through the window. But the dark side to all of this is that many don't feel comfortable the way Woolwind does in the outdoors, including a good-sized chunk of Colorado's population. Those who aren't wealthy, white, or thin, for example, face hurdles to visiting the mountains, and some are afraid to take a walk through a local natural area. There are many other marginalized communities who struggle in the outdoors, including girls and LGBTQ plus people, either because they don't feel safe or they don't feel welcome. Woolwin felt so compelled that she joined Elevate Her as executive director in 2021, taking over the small nonprofit from its founder. The program in Chaffee County fosters confidence in young women, especially LGBTQ plus and girls of color or those from low-income families, through mentorships and outdoor education. I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't for the wild spaces I've been fortunate enough to explore, Woolwin said in an email. I absolutely love the diversity of experience you can have in the center of our state, from rivers and lakes to 14ers, from multi-pitch climbing to skiing. I truly live in an outdoor recreation paradise, and I feel so fortunate to be able to share it with my wife and our 16-year-old son. The outdoors became such a part of her, she used it to woo her wife. Their first date was a snowy eight-mile trek through a quiet, empty trail that filled any awkward pauses with the crunch of snow. By the end, they knew they were meant to be together and returned to Staunton 21 months later to get hitched. She's grateful her family didn't impose the same limitations she sees put on many others. I think most people wouldn't assume that gender plays a role in accessing and enjoying the outdoors. But it absolutely does, she says. I think it starts in childhood, when boys are given the confidence to embrace opportunities to be outside and girls are encouraged toward more domestic pursuits. I think a lot of families are still more traditional where girls are taught. 
subconsciously or consciously, that outdoor recreation is too hard, dangerous, or not meant for women. It was an honor, she said, to get a grant from Colorado Parks and Wildlife last year as a part of its first round of Colorado Outdoor Equity Grants. The grants funded 69 organizations across the state with $3.1 million in grants in 2022, with the help of additional money from the Colorado Lottery and Great Outdoors Colorado. The Outdoor Equity Grant Board, made up of people with experience in environmental justice and education and outdoor recreation, selects the organizations. Most of the board members also have backgrounds in the communities the organizations are there to help. The money went towards supporting learning experiences in the outdoors for girls all year. She'd partnered with CPW for a number of years by having the girls volunteer on projects in the Arkansas Headwater Recreation Area, but the grant is another way to endorse their mission. It has opened up doors to conversations about how to increase access to the outdoors for marginalized populations, Woolwin said, and what that looks like in practice for rural communities. Andrea Kurth was a member of Next 100 Coalition, a group that works to increase workforce diversity across outdoor recreation industries, ensure equitable outdoor access for all people, and to use outdoor spaces to tell healing stories about our state lands. The coalition advocated for the creation of the grant program, and Kurth was part of the team that helped build support for it, as well as envisioned what it could be. The coalition modeled the program after a similar one in New Mexico, and ultimately found a bill sponsor and lobbied to get it approved. Once the program was created, CPW was put in charge of it. It was a natural fit, then, for her to become the program manager two months after CPW's Outdoor Equity Grants program went live in May 2021. The intention is to expand outdoor opportunities for those who have been traditionally excluded from outdoor recreation, Kurth said, but there are so many different factors to that. Those factors include a lack of information, gear, or transportation. CPW chooses the organizations that receive the grants in order to help resolve these factors and others. These include major institutions such as Fort Lewis College in Durango, which received $25,000 to support a first-year course to build a connection with faculty, their peers, and the outdoor community that surrounds it. But it also includes many small organizations, such as a Loveland organization that connects people of color with opportunities to go stand-up paddleboarding, rafting, and kayaking. A bolder group that encouraged girls of color who are LGBTQ+, or belong to low-income families, to participate in a 12-day rock climbing and backcountry wilderness expedition. And a group that takes people of color on hunts. The legislation makes it clear that the money should help disadvantaged groups experience the outdoors. These groups are defined as ethically and racially diverse, the indigenous, those with disabilities, and the LGBTQ, Kurth said. But the ways the organization helps these communities are through broadly defined outdoor experiences. We really want communities to define for themselves what a meaningful outdoor experience looks like, she says. There is room for a really broad spectrum. There were already CPW programs in place to fill some gaps in ensuring the outdoors is for everyone, including trips for disabled hunters and a program in Staunton State Park that allows those who use wheelchairs to use four-wheel drive chairs to hike up to three miles. But the idea of serving groups beyond the more prominent populations of people with health conditions or impairments began to gather steam during the pandemic when the public flooded areas like state parks, 
nature areas, and iconic places such as Rocky Mountain National Park. So much so that some major areas instituted reservation systems. The outdoors are a public right, said Travis Duncan, spokesperson for CPW, and the pandemic showed how valuable that is to people. It's difficult to know just how many groups there are that struggle to find access to wild places and why they struggle, Duncan said. CPW knows it needs ways to help wheelchair users enjoy the outdoors. But to be frank, there may not be many who understand why a gay, black, or Latino, or all three, teenage girl has never been to the mountains, even when they are less than an hour's drive away. This is why the grant program can be so valuable. It allows communities to tell CPW the barriers they face and how it can help. We aren't necessarily the expert, Duncan said, but we know how to partner with groups that love to use our spaces. We are the booster pack to these organizations. The grants are geared toward getting people outdoors, but there's a special emphasis for those 25 and under and the organizations that serve them, Kurth said. Not only does this keep an eye toward the future, ensuring that people will be around to fight for them as well as enjoy them, but this gives the grants more bang for CPW's buck. Even a third of the seats on the board that selects the grants are occupied by that age group. They have the opportunity to have the most impact that way, Kurth said. A lot of times, excitement from youth drums up interest for the whole family. Earth Mountain is a working permaculture, sustainable and self-sufficient farm that was established in 2004 and grows food for the Comida market. But Joni Steiner also hopes they produce what she calls skill building and lifestyle changes. We are the only outdoor environmental educators in the area, Steiner said. We think we've made a huge impact on the local community in these past few years. Indeed, the farm is an hour away from any town in Los Animas County. Trinidad is the closest city, and that seclusion is part of the idea. The website calls it an unforgettable experience in natural simplicity. There is no grid at Earth Mountain. The farm operates off solar power and works as independently as possible. To take away the excess in our lives gives us a clear picture of ourselves and the world around us, the website states. The farm received a $50,000 grant to upgrade its services, hire more staff, and build wheelchair-accessible trails and paths around the farm. The farm provides internships to marginalized populations, provides visits in summertime for kids, and an outdoor adventure program twice a month for age groups 5 through 8, 9 through 14, and 15 through 18 to get kids outdoors and away from electronics. They need to be removed from their normal habitat, Steiner said. That's how our remoteness can really help them with that. Kids eat better here. That's one of their favorite things. They get to cook their own food. There are also farming programs that target those recovering from addictions, as the time away from society is exactly what they need to recover, Steiner said. Part of recovery, after all, is leaving your old life behind, even friends, and in some cases, family. But it's not just the remoteness and getting your hands dirty that works, Steiner said. Working a farm is empowering, and many times they even earn a little money. People who learn they can grow a seed from a plant to harvest is empowering in its own right, she said. They can have a garden and sustain themselves. They also cook the food created by the land. It's a culture shock for some to feel accountable to themselves. It's almost just what everyone needs, she said. Your life revolves around the basic needs, and food is a big part of that. Everyone gets exactly what they need from the experience of a farm, 
and everyone comes for a different reason. Indeed, we all have a reason for visiting the outdoors, but what Woolwind got from her experiences may be universal for all of us. She felt empowered by them. She felt like she could be herself. She now lives with her wife and their son in the Arkansas River Valley, where the beauty of the outdoors surround them. I think women absolutely belong in the outdoors, she said, and through mentoring and showing girls they are strong enough and brave enough, they can do hard things. I hope we can change the narrative to be more inclusive. Dan England is a freelance author and editor and a frequent contributor to Colorado Outdoors. This article is copyrighted by the author. Courteous and Responsible Fishing Article by Ron Bullock Everyone has experienced rude behavior in everyday life. A shopper blocks an entire grocery store aisle. A jerk cuts you off in traffic. Your neighbor leaves a barking dog outside all night. Fishing, however, should be a time of relaxation and enjoyment. Unfortunately, anglers also periodically experience discourtesy on the water, and it can be more than just someone crowding in on you. Two friends told me of two separate incidents of rude behavior at remote backcountry lakes. In both incidents, someone asked them to vacate their fishing spot because it is where that person fished every year when they visited the lake. But the worst of all was reported by a friend who observed an incident in the dream stream. Two anglers got in a dispute over a fishing spot and ended up in a fist fight. More anglers, and possibly more flexible work schedules, have increased the potential for confrontation on the water. As such, anglers need to pay special attention to their distance from fellow anglers on the water, how and where they wade, use of motorized watercraft, time spent in choice fishing spots, control of pets, supervision of children, and disposal of entrails and trash. Courtesy can also be extended to fellow anglers when off the water by sharing information. In addition, anglers should protect the fisheries they cherish. Probably the most frequently encountered discourtesy by an angler is crowding in on one's fishing spot. We have all chuckled when seeing Alaskan postcards of shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder anglers combat fishing during a salmon run. While things don't get that bad in Colorado, anglers that are not catching fish will still move toward an angler who is hauling them in. Use common sense on distances to keep. If you were the successful angler, ask yourself how close could other anglers approach without making you feel uncomfortable. Even if another angler is not catching fish, leave enough room to complete the downstream drift. And if the run is not extensive, leave the entire run for the angler to work. Similarly, leave enough room along lake shores for anglers to scout for fish. I generally give an angler a hundred feet of elbow room on rivers and lakes. However, if an angler is stationary, such as bait fishing at a lake from a lawn chair, probably half that distance will do. And of course, friends and family often fish much closer together. Excessive wading can be discourteous and irresponsible behavior as well as an activity that results in missed opportunities. Experienced anglers cautiously approach rivers and lakes because they realize that fish may lurk tight against the shore. I've seen anglers carelessly walking along the lake shore, unaware of the numerous trout that are darting off to the safety of the deeper water. Similarly, on rivers, I often see anglers plow into the middle of the river, never even considering that they may have spooked fish holding tight to the bank. Perhaps we should all take a lesson from those that practice check nymphing, as they are more astute about cautiously approaching a river.
They are known for keeping a low profile and methodically fishing the water, starting with the water closest to the bank and slowly extending outward into deeper water. I've also seen many anglers needlessly wade through good holding water, probably because they were unsuccessful nymphing it and perhaps didn't realize that their lack of success may not have been due to an absence of fish, but rather an insufficient weight, poor presentation, or wrong fly selection. Hence, they may have ruined the water for other anglers who could have been more successful. Another irresponsible wading activity is the San Juan Shuffle, the purposely shuffling of one's feet while standing in moving water with the intent of dislodging worms and insects downstream to attract fish and then floating one's fly through the feeding fish. Although illegal on the San Juan River for which it is named, it is not explicitly illegal in Colorado, although some will argue that this comes under the definition of chumming, which is indeed illegal in Colorado. On lakes, I have also seen irresponsible waders. Some anglers will wade the entire shallow shelf of a lake to access choice drop-offs rather than exit the lake and enter farther down shore. However, the most irresponsible wading behavior is walking on reds and or fishing to spawning trout. Walking over reds destroys eggs and disturbs fish that are ushering in the next generation. In my opinion, successfully spawning trout should be given a break and left alone. Responsible behavior also applies to anglers fishing from watercraft. In addition to purchasing an aquatic nuisance species stamp, operators of motorboats and other trailered watercraft must have state-certified personnel to help prevent the spread of nuisance species like zebra and coaga mussels, which are highly disruptive on native food chains. Such inspections occur at official inspection and decontamination sites across the state. These inspections must take place prior to launching after boating out of state, prior to exiting a water that is positive for invasive species, and at various other times when required. In addition to inspections, boaters are required to clean, drain, and dry their boats every time they exit any water. Boaters must also remove all plants and pull all water drain plugs before leaving the lake or reservoir. More information on inspections and inspection sites is available from CPW online at cpw.info slash boat dash inspections. Boaters should always check regulations to ensure that motorized craft are permissible on the waters they fish and practice courteous boating by reducing speed to minimize wakes when passing non-motorized craft, especially float tubes and paddle boards. Irresponsible behavior also commonly occurs after a fish is hooked in catch-and-release waters. Fish should not be played to exhaustion, especially when water temperatures are warm. Always use a net rather than beaching a fish, and preferably use one that has a basket of plastic or unknotted flat nylon, as this is less damaging to fish. If you must take a picture, do so quickly, wetting your hands and keeping the fish out of water for only so long as you can hold your breath. One can sometimes photograph small fish underwater in one's net where they can breathe and recover. One may need to release larger or exhausted fish without a picture. I recently landed two five-pound rainbows while belly boating alone. After what seemed like an eternity landing the fish, I messed around for about 30 seconds trying to photograph the fish as it recovered in the water across my net that was too small to contain it. 
I realized I was not going to get a good picture, so I abandoned the photography and instead concentrated on reviving the fish. I did not even attempt a picture of the second brute. If fishing when air temperatures are below freezing, refrain from bringing fish out of the water because their gills can freeze, killing the fish. While one cannot fault an angler for staying a long time in one spot catching fish, it certainly seems hoggish to those observing. If you are the one fortunate enough to be doing the catching, you can invite an observing angler to join you. If you are the observer, you can strike up a conversation with the angler and ask what fly they are using and how they are fishing it. Maybe it's not the spot that's so prolific as it is the angler's method. Sharing knowledge about how and where to fish is the ultimate act of courtesy, second only to taking one fishing, especially someone who is new to the sport or needs a little help getting around. One can also share knowledge when off the water. When on the water, remember that we are visitors in the natural world and everyone does not appreciate loud voices and disruptive behavior. I once fished with a friend who announced every fish he caught, and I heard him all the way on the other side of the lake. It was aggravating even though I was catching as many fish as my friend. Even more disturbing are the barking dogs and stone-throwing children. I used to like skipping stones as a child, but I was taught not to do so when others were nearby fishing. Also disruptive are people who repeatedly throw objects into the water for their dog to retrieve when others are fishing. One can practice additional responsible and courteous behaviors. If camping at a lake, pitch your tent at least 100 feet from the water so that others may pass through or fish in the intervening area. Before leaving a fishing spot, scout around for any trash left behind. Winds can inadvertently disperse lunch and snack wrappings. Pick up any discarded fishing line. If your pet relieved itself, make sure you clean up after it. I was disgusted to find a bright pink bag filled with doggy droppings prominently left behind along the lake shore, well above the timberline. I don't know how the owner overlooked it when leaving. Practicing catch and release not only limits the number of fish taken out of a local population, but respectfully allows others to catch the same fish down the road. Using barbless hooks lessens damage to fish. However, if you do kill fish where regulations allow, clean them and bury their entrails at least 100 feet from the water. Upon returning home, clean and disinfect your waders to help prevent the spread of pathogens. Formula 409 is highly effective for this purpose. One should also hose off float tubes, stripping baskets, and fins. Above all, remember fishing is meant to be an enjoyable experience. Slow down and smell the roses. Too many anglers become obsessed with having to catch the most fish or the biggest fish, and this is when discourteous and irresponsible behavior can inadvertently occur. Fishing is not a contest. Sometimes the best way to protect our fishing resources is to not go fishing at all. For example, avoid fishing for trout when they are actively spawning or when temperatures of the water in which they live climb above 68 degrees. Hooking and landing trout then could be fatal for the fish. If there are many cars in the parking lot or at a pull-off near your intended fishing spot, perhaps it's best to drive on to a less crowded area to reduce pressure on the fish. And always remember to be respectful and courteous to fellow anglers. Don't turn their experience on the dream stream into a nightmare. Ron Bullock, a frequent contributor to Colorado Outdoors, is the author of the award-winning books 
Fly Fishing Colorado's Backcountry, and The Fishing Guide to 800 High Lakes in Colorado. Both are available through his website, R-O-N-B-E-L-A-K dot com. Rick Yannick encouraged the author to write this article and contributed many good ideas. This article is copyrighted by the author. Thank you for joining us for the Colorado Outdoors magazine, January-February 2023, Volume 72, Number 1, Edition. My name is John Arnold. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.